I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, I don't know why I feel the need to start out with this correction, but I realized last week when I was talking about the Drake candles and the places in LA you could order Drake's favorite food from to get a candle, I was talking about Katana, and I said my mom and I were staying at a Holiday Inn. And I wanted to check to see if it was actually Katana we had gone to by looking to see if the hotel we stayed at was directly across the street. And it was, in fact, Katana. And it was actually a Best Western, not a Holiday Inn. But, I mean, kind of the same realm, right? But I'm telling you, cutest Best Western ever. Stay there if you ever want to stay in WeHo for, like, a good deal and in a great location. Okay, Our little updates today are pretty couple-heavy. It's almost exclusively couples that I want to talk about. But we talked about Benifer, a.k.a. Jen Lopez, and Ben Affleck maybe being together. It seems even more confirmed now. I think now I'm struggling with this. Is this just like a total press move? Is it really just a rebound move on J-Lo's part? Ben Affleck is such a hot mess. I mean, he is hot. Emphasis on the hot part. But... Again, I think we are all just really rooting for J-Lo and like get your little wham, bam, thank you, ma'am rebound in if that's what this is about. If this is for great press and getting your name out there, props to that too. I mean, I'm sure the Google searches on both of them have skyrocketed recently. And also, if you don't, if you don't remember, they were like engaged 17 years ago. So that's why it's just so, I don't know, magical almost that they're bringing it back all these years later. Um, But predictably, someone who's not happy about it is A-Rod. And according to a source, I think this was said to E! News, A-Rod is shocked that J-Lo has moved on. He truly thought they would be able to make it work and reconnect. The source added that A-Rod is so saddened that maybe Jen and Ben are back together and that he's been reaching out to J-Lo trying to meet with her and let her know that he's upset. And apparently J-Lo is not into it. She has no interest in rekindling anything with A-Rod. This is all according to the source, which maybe is J-Lo's team. I don't know. And she apparently says she'd rather give it a shot with Ben. And J-Lo's always wondered what could have been, allegedly. So I don't know. I I mean, A-Rod, that's what you get for DMing Madison LaCroix and doing who knows what else with her. Don't be a cheating asshole, and then maybe you can keep up with your engagement and tie the knot. (sighs) Speaking of odd couplings, we went through a whole list last week, and this is going to come kind of full circle at the end of this episode, but one of them we talked about was Kat Dennings and Andrew WK. Is that even his – is it HK? (laughs) I literally don't know who this man is. I think it's Andrew HK. And this is why this is so shocking. I was literally just processing who this Andrew man is. And now all of a sudden him and Kat are engaged. Full on engaged. She posted it on her Instagram. Just let that sink in for a second. One of our other favorite chaotic couples that I literally just feel like I can't go a week now without talking about is Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker of Blink-182 fame. They are wilding out with the PDA even more. It elevated from a finger up the butthole practically to Courtney tattooing I love you on him it actually is kind of a cute tattoo and he has so many anyways like what's one more 
I never, though, like when people who aren't trained in tattooing are giving people tattoos. It just seems like a recipe for a disaster to me. And honestly, it looks like she pressed a little too hard. It looked a little bloody. I mean, it didn't look how I think it should look. And on top of that, his company, Heretic, came out with a collab with Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's company, for a candle that says, this is what Courtney's orgasm smells like. Um, and can we just stop with the orgasm candles? Gwen came out with one that apparently smells like her orgasm and it sold out really fast. So I get it. It's like a good business move. I just don't know if I need it in my life. I Speaking of Gwen and Goop, I, I saw this interview she had given. I actually think it was on a podcast. And she was talking about how over the quarantine, she really wilded it out and she had some bread and pasta and she was drinking whiskey every night. And I'm like, you know, whiskey is not my drink of choice it was more tequila for me but I'm glad we had that in common like I was eating bread and pasta before but I definitely went heavy on the bread and pasta and heavy on the tequila during quarantine and it's like she said she's like you know I have like two drinks a night and that was with me like it would only be like a drink a night but was it kind of consistent it it was and she calls it she apparently learned about this whiskey drink it's like a whiskey sour but it's her special recipe and she calls it a Buster Paltrow And I guess it came from her grandfather. Like, she was inspired by him to make it. I don't know. I'm just like, we get it, Gwen. Like, you didn't eat carbs before. And you probably – she's probably having some gluten-free bread and, like, you know, bonza pasta. And she thinks she's really wilding out here. Speaking of pasta, the Pasta Empire man himself and another couple from our list last week, Amelia Vitolo and Katie Holmes, according to JustJared.com, just broke up. And speaking of Just Jared – We've been over it. I love Just Jared. He does like these fun paparazzi photos. He's really fun to follow on Instagram. He's like the nice press Hilton. He's been around for probably just as long. I've followed him or been aware of him and read him occasionally online for as long as I can remember. Um, He reported that apparently Olivia Munn and John Mulaney are dating. Now, this is significant because John Mulaney recently went to rehab Um, It's not his first time in rehab, and he struggled with addiction in the past. And there was sort of some rumblings when that was happening that he was getting a divorce with his wife. And his wife was kind of a normie. I really loved it. She made, like, Victorian lampshades. Um, They were a very cute couple, seemingly, from the outside. And, you know, people were hearing this, but I don't think anyone wanted to think it was true because they seemed pretty solid. Again, you never know from the outside what's going on. And... Then she posts on her Instagram that she's sad that he's made the decision to get a divorce. So she clearly was saying, this is John's decision. He did this. And it was kind of right after he came back from rehab. And now apparently Olivia Munn and John Mulaney like met at church and now they're dating. I mean, who knows? This is just allegedly it's reported on just just Jared. But I don't know. Crazy couple also weirdly ties in with our other chaotic couple, Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers, because she dated Aaron Rodgers for years. Like, I think everyone kind of thought they were going to get married. Okay, we're done with couples for now. Moving on. (laughs) Y'all know I love a good Caroline Calloway story. If you're not familiar with Caroline, go back and listen to episode nine. And then I did some more recent episodes where I talked uh, a little more about her, but I did kind of a primer in episode nine. And uh, to give some context, she was eating at dinner with Alex Delaney from Bon Appetit. And Alex had some drama um, of his own. 
I would say he got canceled in a way. We've also talked about that in a past episode. It came up some really disgusting, homophobic things he had said in the past, like on Vine and just not not great things. He had like a Confederate flag cake. So, and this was kind of happening at the same time as this. There being a whole reckoning with Bon Appetit again. We've we talked about that on past episodes, but just to situate you. Um, so he was having dinner with Caroline Calloway at the Waverly Inn in New York. She posts a picture of it. She says, made Alex Delaney sign an NDA on the table paper at the Waverly Inn. Like, haha, so cute, so quirky. Again, I, I like Caroline, but <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a little salty right now. So I wrote beneath the comment, one time I met Alex Delaney and asked him if he knew Caroline Calloway. And at that time, he didn't. But this feels very full circle. P.S. would gladly host you both on Kind of Cute Podcast. I did not mean this comment maliciously. This is a true story. When I did meet Alex Delaney, I did, in fact, ask him if he knew who Caroline Calloway was. And to this day, I'm convinced he did at the time. He had dated Susan Alexandra. He was so in with that New York influencer crowd that I just, I knew, I know he knew at least who she was. Like, I I think I even said that. I think I was like, you're lying. <laughs> so it was really, it was just a full circle moment for me. And I felt like I had to acknowledge it on this this picture. And I really would like to have both of them on the podcast. And she <laughs> responded, wow, and look where we are now with a heart and a heart eye emoji. And it just reeked of such facetiousness and kind of seemed rude to me. And maybe I'm reading too much in and into it because sometimes I think Caroline's tone is because she vacillates from so sincere to so snarky, it can be a little hard to know which way she's going. So maybe I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but I don't know. I I was like, eh, not loving it. Okay, you know I can't pass up a good Florida story. This one is from People. It's titled, 28-year-old woman arrested after allegedly posing as a student in high school to promote Instagram. Her name's Audrey Nicole Francequini. She's 28 years old, and now she's facing charges of burglary, educational institution interference, and resisting an officer. So what happened was she went into school, a Miami high school, this past Monday. She was pretending to be a student, allegedly in order to promote her social media. I don't know how they found this out. I don't know if she just copped up to this. And it says she snuck into the high school. She was trying to blend in with other students by carrying a backpack. She was kind of dressed young. Not that she, I mean, she's 28. Like, I don't think it's that much of a stretch, but... That's like every person on Riverdale. And she's carrying a painting, holding a skateboard. But this is the kicker. I'm sorry. Duh. I, I, this is how they knew she was trying to promote her Instagram. She was handing out pamphlets with her Instagram username on them. But I'm like, was this really just a social experiment? Was she going to go record a podcast about this? And then it just took a dark turn because she got arrested? But I just think the story is so funny because I'm hoping... There was no danger that came. I get this is a security issue. And with everything that's happened in schools recently, I get that like it has to be a very secure place and students should feel safe. But if the worst she's doing is handing out some pamphlets on campus, like that is a little bit funny. And apparently the police identified her through her Instagram page. And then she was arrested at her home in North Miami Beach. So I just wanted to share that story with you because I found it quite hilarious i'm so sorry if you can hear i cannot get gurky to shut up i apologize um but i am so excited for you to hear this special episode we have today 
And before I get into a little intro for that, uh, I want to preface it by saying that, you know, this is a solo hosted podcast for better or worse. Uh, Sometimes I myself get a little sick of hearing my own voice and I love having other people's input. It's why I love having Kinsey on here. And I've always talked about having guests on because I think so many people have such cool stories to tell and it's part of the reason I'm drawn to the cut because I love hearing these special stories and the things that shape people into who they are. So I just want to make that clear if this is your first time tuning in. This is normally a solo hosted podcast, but I'm so open to having guests on and I would even love to have a listener on it. I mean, if you have a story to tell, reach out to me, girl. Boy, I got you. Let's let's get an interview on the books and I'm just really excited. I I think there could be a lot of growth to be had in, you know, having guests every once in a while. But again, I'm so excited for my guest today. We have Helen Grossman, who co-founded the Align app back in 2014. And it was an app that was really meant to revolutionize the dating system and get rid of a lot of the gross things about Tinder. And she tells us the whole story of how this app came to be and eventually how it ended and all of the hardships that came with that. And she gets really raw and really vulnerable. And at the end, we have a fun little celebrity segment. And you have to stay tuned for our legit shits that will also be at the end. So enjoy. Y'all, I'm so excited to welcome Helen Grossman on Kinda Cute today. I met Helen earlier this year, and she is on Team Kinda Cute, as she is the directing producer at Paradigm, the coolest creative production studio that I'm so honored took on Kinda Cute as a client. They currently work with Tia Mowry. Yes, the Tia Mowry and so many other incredible women. But the reason I'm chatting with Helen today is because six years ago, she co-launched a dating app called Align, which was based on matching people based on their astrological signs. And from the few things I've heard about this, I know Helen has a lot of story to tell and I want to just dive into it. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I love that. So I want to start out by just going back to the very beginning and talking about your first memory of astrology and horoscopes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think that most people like me who are Leos are like, well, I, you know, I know that Leos are the best that's kind of all I know about astrology. And so for a lot of my life, like that's, that would have been my response to that question. I always knew I was a Leo. I knew that, you know, the lion was like strength and pride and like being headstrong, but I didn't really know a lot about astrology and what it actually entailed and sort of the depth and expansiveness of it. Um, But when I was 23, I started working at this co-working space, actually. It was a collaborative community and a this amazing uh, actual like physical office space where a bunch of social entrepreneurs and startups and all of these just like amazing people, like young people doing awesome things in Los Angeles were working. And that's where I met my mentor. Uh, her name is Ari Edmonds, and she is just such a dream and still super close person in my life. Um, And she was really into astrology. And she was sort of the head of community at the hub, which is what this co-working community was called. It's unfortunately no longer around. Ari was the one who really introduced it to me. And what I started to see, she taught me and then I started doing my own learning. And I started to see how understanding people's astrological archetypes um, really helped 
me understand how to communicate with them better as someone who was interacting with a ton of different people every single day. But also what Ari and I started doing is during the day, we would start consulting with different startup teams on their astrological signs. And so we would have groups of people, founders, and we would do full chart readings for the co-founders of these companies and say, hey, like, this is how you view the world. And this is how you view the world. And maybe you guys aren't seeing eye to eye because of this reason, or maybe you have this shared vision because you both have these placements in these houses. That's sort of where it kicked off. And I think because I was in this space that was so nurturing to startups and that was so empowering to individuals to start companies and use their platforms for good and to have an idea and run with it and make it happen. I said, all right, I'll make a company out of this. And that's, you know, that took some work with my, my co-founder, Eliza, and sort of recognizing that there was this open market in the dating app world. Okay. I want to unpack so much of that. So you are an LA native, correct? Yes. Yeah. And you went away to Minnesota for college? Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm from West Los Angeles. I, um, for whatever reason, the, we all make choices at 17. My choice was to go to college in Minnesota, um, which was a really, in many ways, an incredible decision um, because it was four years that I knew I would never, not never, because we never know where we're going to end up in this life, but I knew that I was going to probably end up in a city and I wanted an academic experience that felt very cloistered and that was very... Um, different from anything I would ever experience again in life. And so I chose to go to a very small liberal arts college in Minnesota that was like in between a turkey farm and is an oatmeal factory. And like, depending on which way the wind blew, it smelled like shit or it smelled like (laughs) cookies. And it was just like this kind of magical place, but also at the end of four years of being in Minnesota and after experiencing four Minnesota winters, I was like, I am going right back to Los Angeles. Okay, so I just am trying to, how did these, everything come to be? How did it come to be that you reconnect with Elisa after college, you take your burgeoning passion for astrology and make it into a dating app? Yeah, so, you know, simultaneously as I'm in my early 20s in Los Angeles, back in the city for the, you know, first time since I was 18 and left my home, working in this community, meeting Ari, learning about astrology, starting to see the world through this new lens. Aliza, who was a New York native, had moved to Los Angeles. And we, you know, we were always really close. We were close in college. We stayed in touch after college. And then she moved to Los Angeles. And at the same time, like on parallel paths, it was a really uh, interesting time in the dating world. Like we, we don't really remember it, but at this time, Tinder was revolutionary. It was the only dating app there was. Um, Other ones were cropping up literally every six months. As we started to develop our app, we started to see, you know, every three months, every six months, these niche dating apps launching. And we were so nervous that someone was coming up with our idea too. But it was funny because, you know, we recognized that there was this huge area in the market because Tinder was the only option other than like Match and OkCupid and eHarmony and these like very sort of, uh, they were just very involved experiences. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on OkCupid or Match, but yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) me too. You have to answer a ton of questions and you have to, you know, it's just, it's very, 
scientific also like there was this approach to dating that was either like this is our algorithm or it was tinder which was like swipe if you're hot and swipe you know if you're not and that was also like an equally alienating experience so dating itself had become this gamified thing and at the same time we were both young I was 23 or 24 she was 24 25 um, we were dating, you know, a lot of people, meeting people through apps, meeting people just, you know, around the city um, and having conversations like now everyone is having with their friends and people have always had that was just like, what is, you know, what is going on with all of these guys that we're dating? And and part of that is because of the dating app culture that was developing at the time. Like Tinder was such a, um, a crazy scene and it had started to develop all of these patterns of behavior in people that now I think we've just sort of accepted as the norm, but at the time it was very jarring. Um, but also, you know, we were, we were having conversations like, why am I not meeting the person that I want to meet? And maybe I'm just dating too many Tauruses. So like we were having, we were seeing through the lens of like, of astrology, but also like, doing the actions on tinder and so having those conversations at the same time and just being like i wish that i knew what everyone's sign was before i went on dates with them it would just make life so much easier and so then we started talking about it and just in passing one night we were eating at this like korean barbecue restaurant after a night at the korean spa which just sounds like such a faraway world now but um you know we we were having dinner and we sort of jokingly said, maybe we should just make an astrology dating app. And then like a week later we said, you know what, let's do it. Like, let's actually do it because it's a really good idea. Well, first off, I have to say it is my dream to go to a Korean spa. They look so <laughs> indulgent and lovely. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's, I miss them so much. Okay. So can you situate us a little bit in this time period? This is, is this 2014? Yes, this is 2014. Yeah. So Tinder launched Tinder launched in 2012. Um and other apps started launching in late 2014, 2015. Yeah, this makes so much sense because I remember I first downloaded Tinder when I was in law school and I was in law school from 2012 to or I'm sorry, 2011 to 2014. So I was falling right in this area and I remember there was these other apps. Like, do you remember the one where you could go on and you could rate guys that you had been on a date with and then it was like public and you could see it? Because I feel like this was right in that hot spot too. And I don't even think that app exists anymore. Yeah. So it was, it was a ruthless time as far as just like being brutal with how you would size someone up and judge someone based on their dating app. Absolutely. And even just one of the things that I learned in making the app was like the actual experience of using the app of swiping and of these gestures that now like Tinder literally revolutionized the way that we use our devices. We were not swiping before Tinder. And that's really important to recognize that they fundamentally changed how we are interacting with our phones. Everything uses swipes now. Um, it was really smart in that way. But it also, if you actually think about swiping, it was this like, oh, I'm like pushing you away. I'm like brushing you off. And even just that gesture itself felt so soulless and felt so objectifying and so icky. And 
and uncomfortable. And so there were a couple of apps that were not using gestures like that. And we're not using the sort of same Tinder, uh, the formula that Tinder was using, which was essentially just like find people in your area and feed them to you. And then just, you know, have an endless lineup of people. So that you're constantly on the app, but for the most part, almost all dating apps now use this, uh, use the Tinder swipe gesture just because it's so ingrained in us now. And it's crazy that this is that many years later. I mean, we're going on six, seven years later and to be stuck in that same mindset. And I remember that's why I downloaded Hinge and I feel like I liked that one best because it had a little bit of prompt. It had a little bit more personality, but you're still swiping. You're still doing that same gamification. Yeah. It's so when Hinge, when Hinge first launched, I don't know if you remember this, but it actually was not the way that it is now. And by the way, now it's owned by the match group. It's owned by the same company that owns Tinder. Um, they, when they first launched, it was like a friend of a friend. They would connect to your Facebook, which is also like such a relic is that all of these apps were going through Facebook. Um, they would connect to your Facebook and find your friends and then find other people's friends and find mutual connections and only give you people with first or second degree connections. Yes. I totally remember when it was like that, but it was only like that in big cities. So I was living in West Palm at the time. It wasn't even launched here. So I don't even think it launched here. Like when it did, they had gotten rid of that aspect of it. Yeah. But it is so like, I totally forgot about that too. Cause these, these things, they just become so ingrained in your day-to-day habits that you don't even think about how they change over time or the psychology of it that they're using. Yeah, absolutely. And also like another track that was happening was the financial track, which is that investors saw what was happening with Tinder. We're pouring a ton of money into Tinder, which also was always part of the match group. It was always owned by, by, um, it's called, IAC interactive corp (laughs) and um but investors were really excited by tinder and so started investing in dating apps around like 2013 2014 and then like the drop-off was just crazy because what people saw and what investors saw and what all everyone who sort of created a dating app saw was that at the end of the day everyone was just like going back to tinder so there was this excitement around this industry and around all the potential for dating. But then that also felt like a closing market within a year, I would say. Hmm. Do you think people were going back to Tinder just because they had the biggest pool and that's yeah. why? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was the biggest pool. I think it was also just like those apps are designed to make you addicted and even something like Bumble, right? And I, I don't want to just like trash talk all the other dating apps because like I met my boyfriend on Tinder. Like I'm I'm not mad at it, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> I, but even Bumble, it's just like you're just swiping mindlessly and it, just because you get to make the first move doesn't make it a more soulful interaction. And what happens when you go through the process of every time you sit on the toilet and you open your phone and you open Tinder and the first thing that you see is a match because that's how the algorithm works. It always feeds you people who liked you first so that you're, you get that jolt of endorphins and of, you know, whatever that feeling of like feeling good and feeling accepted. 
And then you have a hundred other people to swipe through and wait until they like you back. And on smaller apps, you just don't have that. But also we were really trying to do something more intentional and to say like, it's not normal to spend your entire day desensitized to the fact that there are human beings on the other side of your phone that you're just like swiping through. Right. So back to you at the Korean spot, Korean barbecue, (laughs) you said, we're going to make an app. Well, did you guys have any experience in that realm? No, not really. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Uh, what's the first step? You say, I'm going to make an app. How do you make it a reality? The first thing that we did was try to find developers who could help us turn the app into an actual product. Um, simultaneously also finding advisors and um, investors. And we also spent a long weekend um, just brainstorming and we got those like big post-it note. um, Oh, that you ripped off? No, the giant. Yeah. And we like (laughs) got a huge pad of paper and, you know, and we're literally like using markers and like drawing out like our values and talking about like, okay, if our core value is like, we want people to recognize that through astrology, they can learn about themselves and other people. How can we start to imbue that into a product? And so we like took that and just expanded from that. And a lot of it happened on paper and like with colored pencils. And then we took those colored pencil drawings, which I guess were like, you know, wireframes, and we took them to developers and we found a development partner and, and then that was it. So he's like, were you so confident in this idea at the time that you just knew it could be successful? No, I mean, <laughs> that, and that's like a really raw and honest answer that I'm still grappling with. And if you asked Aliza, she might have a different answer. Um, I think the idea itself was really, really a smart idea for that moment. And I think that if we hadn't had done it, other people would have done it. You know, other for sure, there would have been another astrology dating app out there, you know, no question. But being 23 or 24 and having no experience and going to a liberal arts college that no one in Los Angeles has ever heard of and then like trying to raise capital and being young and impressionable like there were so many extenuating factors that made it very nerve-wracking it was really a lot of pressure to be like oh people are investing in me and in this company and there's a double weight to that and that was really overwhelming to me and overwhelming to me as someone who was still figuring out her identity and still figuring out like everything that I could do in this world. And I'm still work. I mean, we're always figuring that out, but at 23, 24, I certainly did not know what that meant. That's why I can't imagine at 23, I was still getting blacked out in Midtown and Gainesville. Yeah. I didn't know what the fuck <laughs> I was doing. The fact that you're like, I'm going to start an app and you, it still blows my mind. And I still, I, I like the path to get there did you get advice from the people at the hub? Like, how did you know what to do? We just, we got advice from anyone who would talk to us. Um, And some of it was really good advice and some of it was really bad advice. (laughs) And at a certain point, you also have to just like go with your gut. The truth is that we're also consumers. Like we made this product for ourselves in many ways. We are making it for other people because certainly other people could benefit from it. But we also knew the product that we wanted and 
we wanted to make that experience something that felt resonant and true to who we are. And that meant doing things a little bit differently and following our intuition in a way that everything in startup world at the time and still is like, everything is data, you know, and we were trying to navigate these sort of rules and these uh, standards of the startup world, of raising capital, of being founders, while also not coming from that world and not having a business background, but learning on the fly and going to business school by starting a company. So anyone who would talk to us, we would talk to them. So how did it go from you're working two jobs, you're starting this up, when did you make the decision to quit your other job and go full-time with the app? I quit before our made our, our first beta launch. So we launched first in on May 6th, 2015. And I would say my last day at the hub was in like December of 2014. Um, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to look back on it now, but I think at the time it was just like, there was so much momentum that was happening. I was driving, you know, I was leaving work often to go to our developer's office and like, go check on the app. But we had, you know, weekly or biweekly meetings there and we're constantly, you know, on the go. And at a certain point, it was just like taking over so much of my time and Elisa's time. And both of us were like, it's the right move to, become more invested in this. And frankly, like it's, it's really frustrating because some, a lot of investors are like, well, are you invested in your company? Like, are you invested enough to leave your full-time job and commit to this fully? But when you do that, you're leaving security, you're leaving, you're, you're leaving behind consistency and structure in your days. And for me, having structure of a full-time job and of a place to go every day actually gave me the energy to do the work on the side. And so I think that when I quit my job, it actually, um, the reality really sunk in of the weight and the pressure of like having this company be successful. Yeah. I can't imagine at 23, you're like, I just need some benefits. Like I I need paid vacation. Yeah. I mean, thank God Obamacare had passed and I had healthcare until I was 26. That was the, that was a good thing about starting the company so young. Fair, fair. Okay. So I, I wanted to point out that your app was technically a Taurus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Were you guys conscious of that? We probably made some jokes about it, but it's funny to think about it now. <laughs> and what was sort of just the general reaction to your app? Like, did were people receptive to the idea of a app based on horoscopes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny question because I think people really like the idea of it, but the app itself... um there were parts of it that were really cool, but there were other parts of it that really needed a lot of work. And, you know, we were really set on launching a product and getting it out into the world so that we could get data and we could get users and we could show success stories and success metrics and get more investment from that and then keep building it out and build it and make it better. But we live in such a digitally literate world that if you go on an app that is not functional, you hate it and you never go back on it. And 
this was sort of a weird era of like, there's a startup mentality and there was a startup mentality at this time that was like, fail fast, fail quick, get back up, fix it all, do what you got to do, like slam your face into a wall. You know, like it was, it's, it was this mentality of, and this was sort of how we were pushed in this direction of like, just launch the product, get, get your users, get the data, like see what people are saying about the app. And so we ended up launching our first launch, that May 6th launch with a product that like personally, I think both, I, I can't speak for Aliza, but I know, I knew in my gut that it was not up to par that like it wasn't good enough to compete with tinder and to keep people on the app and ultimately what you really need to do is keep people on the app um but at the same time we got a lot of amazing press and people generally were were forgiving with the things that i'm i'm pretty hard on myself about you know but um people really liked the concept and they liked the design can you walk us through how it would work like you download this app you sign up what happens from there? God, I haven't thought about this in a long time. <laughs> just do generally. Um, so you would sign up, you would put in your birthday and based on your birthday, it would recognize your sun sign. So when we launched, it was only doing sun signs. Um, and based on your sun sign, your bio for the app would populate with uh, a series of emojis or words that we called traits. And so everyone selected, I think, six traits. So, um, you know, let's use Taurus, for example. I remember this quite well. Like, you know, some of the words to describe Taurus were like sensual and, you know. Stubborn. Stubborn and like <laughs> nature loving. And then we used like the wine glass emoji. And I, re- I remember like, for whatever reason, it was like 80% of Tauruses on the app used the wine glass emoji. <laughs> That's right. like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so things, so that was sort of how you populated your bio. We didn't have like a bio that you would write in. Your bio was essentially like, here are the parts of my sign that I relate to. And we were also like pretty honest with people about the positives and the negatives of every sign, you know, like everyone has something about their sign. That's living in shadow or that's not the most flattering, you know? And so obviously most people didn't put those things on there, but it's very revealing for those who did. So you'd populate your traits, your six traits, and then you would set, you know, add a photo or whatever. And then the main interface of the app was this constellation and you were at the center of the constellation. So your photo was like in this center sphere And then around you was like a constellation of faces and you would click in the face of someone who was in your constellation for that day. And you would see, you know, they're a Leo and here are their six traits that they chose for themselves. And then based on your sign, there would be a description of this is how Leos and Tauruses are compatible. And this is where they're not compatible. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that it was a little constellation, and with that group of people, it'd just be random, randomly. Yeah, it was, each it day. was, it was random every day. And if you liked someone, you would like press a line. So it wasn't a swiping experience, and that was really confusing for people. So it wasn't a good lesson. It was just like people didn't really know how to interact with the app um, because it was so different. And it was like the people who are in your constellation, even if you don't like them, 
they're going to stay there all day long. <laughs> You're going to see <laughs> their faces the entire day because we don't believe in just like trashing them until the next person you like. And so, and also like, it's interesting information. You can go back in during the day, whether you like that person or not, and like learn a little bit more about how your sign interacts with their sign. When you click on a line, is it one of those things where both of you have to click it to be able to chat? Yeah. Yeah. And that's another lesson is like, I mean, there's so many lessons of all of this, but like probably we should have just made it a lot easier for people to connect. Um, But that was also sort of the you know, one of the things about OkCupid and the research that we were doing was just like, people were like, I'm getting flooded with messages. You know, all of these products are made by men. And so they don't really consider the experience of women on them. And we were just like, it's kind of creepy to be a woman on a dating app and kind of creepy to be a woman on, you know, an app where anyone can message you. So we really wanted it to have that sort of double opt-in, but it definitely limited the amount of interaction that was happening. But it sucks because it really was and is a smart idea in my mind. <laughs> like, I, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it there. And the thing is, like, I, I just think that, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like, there was a moment that we launched that uh, we could have launched with a product that was maybe like 20% better than it was. And it might have been a different story. You know, we just needed more people on it. So is that kind of like, what was the next step you launch in beta and I know the app eventually closed down, but how did it go from this launch to not really existing anymore? So we launched in beta and then, and that was in Los Angeles only. And then in November of that year, so in November, 2015, we launched in New York and San Francisco and before that launch, we did a bunch of uh, fixes to the app. So we just, we improved the experience. We sort of took all of those things that made beta, uh, made the beta products like very minimally viable, as they say in startup world. And we were like, we can't have a minimally viable product anymore. Like Tinder is, Tinder is everything right now. And we need to give people a legitimate reason to not go on that app. So we need to make ours a product that's, you know, worthy of their time. Um, and that's as simple as like giving people the option to change their profile picture, you know, like things that, things that are so we take for granted, but that like require development hours that we just didn't have the budget to do when we first launched the app, which is, which is wild. But, um, no, but honestly, thinking back to like when I was very first on Tinder, you could only pull pictures from your Facebook profile pictures, yeah. which yeah. I had like one. Like I never, to this oh. day, my Facebook profile is from 2012, not even joking, pre-Align, pre-Tinder. <laughs> so I, you know, I, yeah, there were all these like that. They struggle. Obviously they struggle to figure shit out. Definitely. And there were all these people who were like, hey my profile photo on Facebook is my child and like I don't want my child on this dating app you know right and that just like it just broke me apart because I I want you know I wanted people to feel that the experience was easy and that you know we were listening to them we were giving them something that was an alternative to the sort of premium experience that they were getting on on tinder right so you expand to San Francisco and New York and and then what? So we essentially spent 
all of our funding on that expansion. Um, there are so many things that go into launching an app and that's PR and that's marketing and it's the app development itself. It's retaining developers to constantly be fixing bugs because the app was buggy. Like you, there are things that are going wrong all the time, you know? So you have to have someone on your team who can address that and that's expensive. Um, so we were simultaneously like, you know, launching this app and trying to get funding and trying to, you know, spread the word about it so that we could get more users so that we could get more funding. And we just hit a wall. Like, I don't really know how else to explain it. There were some characters involved who sort of let us down. We had, we had a, an idea for a pivot because we saw the writing was on the wall about dating apps. We were, re- we realized, and we heard feedback from multiple investors that they weren't investing in dating apps anymore and they weren't interested in dating apps. And so we, you know, we were thinking, okay, how can we expand out of dating? Can we make this for friends? Can we, how can we make this something more sort of universal and came up with an incredible concept and came up with, you know, several more ideas to turn a line into more of a brand and less of a, a product. And, um, I don't want to speak too much to that just because there are some ideas there that I, I still think are really potent and could actually happen one day and they haven't been done yet. And, you know, maybe Elisa and I will get back together and do it again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for, we were like, we packed our bags and went to Miami to potentially like open a pop-up shop. And that was like our last hurrah, you know, yeah, it was I wanted sort of to like... hear the Miami story. You alluded to this when we were talking before. <laughs> it's the one and only time I've been to Miami. And, um, uh, <laughs> It was the summer of 20, I guess, 16. And we had this one last option and it was a really good idea. And one of our investors and advisors was like, listen, I have a brother who lives in Miami and he owns this juice shop and he has this location in South Beach that is empty right now. And so you guys could actually like use this storefront. Um you know, and go check it out, see if you like it. So we go to Miami and we like look at the storefront and it's just like totally not, it's a juice store, like a smoothie bar. Like there was no way that we could have opened up anything in there with the like $5 that we had left in the bank account. And uh, it was really, you know, it was intense being in Miami and recognizing that we were really, the process of, of revealing to our advisors and our friends and our family that we had to take a step back and that we couldn't keep pursuing this company was truly harrowing and heartbreaking. Like that, I will say that people who have invested in you because they believe that you're the one to do it, to go to them and to be like, sorry, now's not the time. I really need to find a job and stability so that I can pay my rent. You know, Aliza was, we were both like at the end of our rope and we both really were exhausted. We were exhausted by all the no's. We were exhausted by the letdowns. We were exhausted by constantly, you know, sort of having to do this dog and pony show of like going to investors and begging for money and getting these rejections. And not that like the rejections are what, brought us down it was just that like we truly couldn't um continue paying for the company and we weren't 
happened immediately, but it happened over the course of, I would say, two months of just having this moment of recognition that this endeavor and this venture that we were really passionate about. And during the course of it, we both became really passionate about astrology and we both became, you know, we we got really interested and really spiritual and we felt really connected to the idea. And we also saw our own vision manifesting in the world, like as astrology became more and more popular, especially, you know, as the 2016 election was happening, people were really scared and confused and people started looking to astrology more. So that was another thing is that a lot of people were like, we're not making investments before the election because we don't know what's going to happen with the market. And so it was all of these things happening at the same time. And if you actually, like, I remember if you look at it astrologically, even like there were five planets in retrograde when we were uh, oh closing down God. the company. And it was just like, <laughs> it was even from an astrological perspective, we were <laughs> fucked. So it, it was really sad and really hard. And I wish in so many ways that, um, I had done better. Like there's so many things that I constantly regret and so many ways that I wish that I had showed up as a better friend and as a better partner and as a better like entrepreneur, even though I don't even know if I'm a good entrepreneur still to this day. Like there are so many things that went wrong, but I also don't know if, if any of that would have changed the outcome Um, because we were also maybe just like a year too early for this product and for our idea. There are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things that I'm really thankful for with my path. There's a lot of pain and I want to be really open about that, that like when we talk about starting a company and like sort of the exciting, like hustle culture, like entrepreneurial startup-y world, we also like don't talk about the fact that 90% of startups fail and that it's even harder if you're a woman and it's even harder if you're a person of color. And, you know, it was really, really, really painful to lose a company and to lose an identity and to have a, um, to have something so traumatic happen when you're at the helm of it. And then when you're at the helm of it with your best friend and there's all sorts of tensions involved with that. And just like, there's a lot that's honestly still processing. Um, so ultimately, like I wouldn't have the life that I had have today, which I'm very content and I like really love my life and I love my partner and I love my house and I love, you know, I love the business that I'm in right now and the work that I'm doing and the lessons that I've learned. But a lot of people tend to look back on experiences of failure and be like, oh, but like, think about all the lessons you learned. And I'm always just like, I don't care about lessons. Like, I, I, you know, I thank you. But like, that's not what this was about. This was about like, the company failed. And for a year, I was super depressed and couldn't get off my couch and like, couldn't find a job and like, being 25 or whatever, 26 or 27 at the time, having had one entry level job, then I was like, I'm going to go start a company and I'll never have to work for anyone again. That fails. And then I have to go get my life back on track. And everyone's like, okay, so you essentially have one year of work experience. (laughs) Like, you know, it was almost like I, in many ways was like this whole thing was so 
it was so like juicy and that it was so rich for me as like a person. But when you have a failed company and then you go to a, a future employer and you're like, yeah, well, I had a company and then it failed. That's not like an impressive story to them. I, I love that you're so honest about that. And I think it's so true that our society right now so glorifies the the starting your own company. Yeah, just go out on your own, buy your bootstraps and do it. And you don't, we don't hear enough about the failures and that it's not always just this like straight path to success. I guess my question is, would you do this type of thing in the future? Would you start an app again? Oh, never. (laughs) Not an app for sure. I mean, and I would potentially start a company, but I would absolutely never launch an app. And that was a huge lesson for me. It's just like, there are so many other ways to get your ideas out there. And, you know, apps were really booming at the time. It was like sort of appify everything. It was such a weird time. And I feel so lucky that we interacted and inter intercepted with that period of like, I don't know what it even is. It's like capitalism 2.0. Like there was so much money flowing around and there was so, everyone had ideas and everyone was just making apps and everyone, you know, like there was, everyone was just, um, feeling really entrepreneurial and launching these companies, but at the same token, like everyone is launching an app. It's really hard to launch an app. It's really expensive to launch an app. You could just make a website. Like that's my number one rule. And that was, if anyone is like, do you like, I want to make an app. I just tell them to make a website. So my, (laughs) my takeaway is if you don't have the money to market your app, and develop it really, really, really well, then don't make it. Um, But that being said, it's taken me a long, long time to come to terms with the fact that like, I probably will have to start another company again at some point, just because like that feeling of having control and that feeling of creativity coming from all different directions of having a company was really uh, empowering and was really uh, energizing, but probably not for a little while, because to be honest, there's still a lot of scar tissue that I'm working through. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a Taurus moon. Like I'm not, I'm not fully recovered from the experience. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs are again, like fail fast, fail quick, get back up, start again. And it's just like, I, I really like want to learn from the experience and be the best me going into the next endeavor. It felt like important work, even though, you know, it was a dating app and it was astrology and many people brushed it off as like, you're just like two girls who like astrology and you're looking for boyfriends. Like we got that a lot, you know, not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It was really, it was horrible. We had so many people who were like testing us about, you know, our knowledge of astrology or testing us about like, oh, well, are you single? The amount of times we were asked, are you single? was just if I had been the age I am now, I don't think many people would have asked me that. But I think because we were like young, ripe 24 year olds that we were getting that question a lot. But um, and it's disgusting because that's not something you could ask people. In a and job it's not something you can ask men. It's no. not something that uh, the founder of Tinder was asked, I'm sure, you know. Oh, my God. Did you watch the one? I didn't. On- no. What is that? You have to watch it. Okay, it's about this it's about this woman and she starts an app that a dating app that ba- that matches people with their soulmate based on their DNA. Mm. 
and I think okay. you, <laughs> I don't know if it's like too close to home, but you okay, know. I'll check it out. I feel like she dealt with that because she was. They were like, "Well, does it work? Like, did you do it on yourself?" Yeah. And obviously, it was completely different in this, you know, fictional TV show. But <laughs> it, it it's a good show. I I thought it was juicy. Okay, I I will check it out. I think now I now I have enough distance from uh, from a line that I can watch something like that. Okay, so I also want to talk to you about you get into horoscopes. Did you get into other sort of woo woo things like crystals, magic? the whole shebang short answer yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would say that like this the study and like integration with astrology that i was doing at the time and that happened because of the knowledge that was essentially required of us um just as spokespeople of the app but also like it legitimized the purpose of the app that we genuinely believed it. And we did like, it was, it actually was quite, it is quite useful, I think. Um, and it's interesting and it's fun. Um, and so, yeah, like I started buying a lot of crystals and like getting, definitely getting more spiritual. I was very, I would say like the peak of my spirituality was during that time. Yeah. And you went to psychics. Oh yeah. I still go to psychics all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like how often? I do like a birthday trip and then I do a New Year's trip. Oh, fun. See, I've only gotten one. Um, I had a tarot card reading on my birthday, but since my birthday is December 28th, it was kind of like a birthday and a New Year rolled Mm -hmm. in one, I felt Yeah. Yeah. You need to give yourself like a summer reading or maybe a spring reading. Do you have a certain um, person you go to or do you switch it up? Yeah. I I see a woman um, who is amazing and she's she's next level like that there's a level of intuition that she has that I've truly never seen in anyone else I also like have 17 decks of cards that I'm constantly like pulling pulling them just for insight and information for myself um so I I bring those out when I feel like I need guidance but don't want to pay for a psychic um or don't want like the full energetic experience of sort of being read in that way by someone but yeah I I see I see a woman named Julie um she's she's incredible i can give you her number if you want is and she does tarot readings or is that what you does done? she does sort of intuitive tarot tarot oracle readings and what kind of decks do you have are they tarot or oracle um i use an oracle deck me too yeah i don't know what it is it's like your cards choose you you know and this deck is like whenever I pull a card from it, whenever I pull cards for other people, it's just, it's really spot on. And I, I feel like we, the deck and I have a relationship. That's honestly how I feel with mine, because I would say I'm probably not as deep in as you. Like I wish, but like I wear crystals in my bra. <laughs> I love horoscope shit. Um, I think a lot of it comes from being not quite as knowledgeable. And I think I find solace in it because I'm not, religious at all and so for me it kind of is like a comforting thing but I'm not super again knowledgeable about it but I swear when I pull these and when I read them for people they are freaky on it because I I've always believed in like energy and I think the energy you put out it it could physical things can pick up on it absolutely and also (laughs) like you don't have to have like spirituality with a capital S know the definitions of the, of the crystals. I mean, even though there are like associations with them, like sometimes it's just about like putting your energy into an object and then feeling it come back. Or sometimes it's just about also having like, 
a crystal at your desk to soak up the bad energy. And that's, and who knows if it's working or not, but it's there. And why not believe in it? You know, like that's That's sort of my feeling about it. Yes. That's why I always tell my friends with crystals, I'm like, you know, I'm not using a certain crystal. Like I, I know generally like the big ones, like rose quartz is kind of like love and good vibes Mm and aventurine's good luck. But for me, it's like, I like just having an object that I can kind of put like a thought in. I've always been, I've been into manifesting since I was in high school. Like Mm. I would secret things and not even know I was secreting them. And I was like, if I have an object that can kind of just put those intentions into, I don't see what's wrong with that or stupid about that or different than any sort of other belief that anyone has. I agree. Right. And I think also like <laughs> I'm biased, but I also, I'm just like, women are so magical and so intuitive. And the more that you sort of set these uh, routines and these practices and the more that you sort of put faith into those things, you also start listening to yourself more. And that's also really what it's about is listening to your intuition, being really connected to your intuition. And the more that I started studying astrology, the more connected to my intuition I became. And that's not everyone's journey, but a big lesson of the line and a big lesson of the work of astrology for me was just like, recognize that you have all of these inherently incredible capabilities and trust that and trust that if someone walks into a room and you don't like their vibes, like you don't have to convince yourself to like their vibes, you know? And in so many ways we're conditioned to like, to do that. And I'm, I'm just sort of done. I'm done playing that game. Um, And I, I think that the more, aware that I am of the world that I inhabit and the sort of cosmic nature of my existence, the more that I'm able to look inward and say that feeling isn't just like, it might just be a chemical reaction, but it also might be like a real intuitive gut instinct. And I've had very strong gut instincts since I was a child and I generally listen to them and I'm generally right. (laughs) Well, and I think those physical things can go in with this more undefined intuition. Yeah. That it, science can't explain in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I believe that's gut feeling, women's intuition, 100%. I'm there with you. And I also agree that sometimes putting it outside of yourself makes you have more trust in it a little bit. Exactly. Okay. I want to go back to your boyfriend. You met your boyfriend <laughs> on Tinder, but you also said that there was a psychic who I think I read this on your Instagram that there was like a psychic. I did did a lot of deep diving on you before this interview. So I'm sorry to anyone listening. If you're like, where is she pulling that information from? It's my like internet stalking of Helen. But I swear on your Instagram, you said that you, a psychic like told you about meeting your boyfriend before you met him. She did. Yeah. It was Julie. Yeah. I, I, she literally, I went for my birthday reading. So I, I went at the beginning of Leo season and, um, she was like, be ready. Like he is coming. Your person is coming and he's really close. Like, (laughs) and she, you know, and she was like, he's going to be like a sort of, I forgot exactly what she said. She was like, he's a Taurus or someone like a Taurus. So those sort of like homey, sensual, uh, you know, very sort of like nature inspired, but also very grounded people. And she like specifically called out certain things that are just, 
you know, she called out that he would really like to cook and she called out that, you know, just certain characteristics that it's, it's funny because you hear that and then you like start going on dates and you're like, are you a Taurus? And, you know, um, (laughs) but I also just had to like sort of keep that in the back of my head, but not let it define the direction that I was taking as I was dating during that time, because I didn't want it to box me in. Um, but it, you know, it ended up, it ended up as it was supposed to end up. So he is a Taurus. No, he's a Cancer. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, water sign. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he he embodies some of those attributes. Yeah, I mean, she was really speaking of someone who sort of, um, like, she was like, he has really nice sheets. Like, she was like, I keep like feeling, I keep like sensing something about like his home and sort of his home space and like Cancer is a very home oriented sign. And so she was identified and he loves to cook. And there were all of these things that she called out that, um, that were very much uh, my, my boyfriend to a T. Huh? Mm -hmm. So you meet him on Tinder though. Yeah. I met him on Tinder. And like how you have to give me the scoop on this. Like I love (laughs) since I, I've a ironically never been on a dating app date. I've been on every dating app to check them out. Never been on a date from one. Why not? Dude, I'm so scared. I'm like, Oh my God. You're so awkward. So fun. No, but I'm so, I, I have social anxiety to like the nth degree. I'm like, and I'm so glad you were my first interview because I had anxiety about doing this and I talked to you only on Zoom. I've never met <laughs> Helen in person. <laughs> I hope we get to so, meet in person and like relive my Miami days together. Yes. Um, well, I mean, we met on Tinder and it was just like at that point in my life, I was very much like dating is not something that is my main, main priority. Like I was in this place in my life where I was like finally back on my feet after a line. I had a job that was very stable, but that wasn't very challenging, but I had a really active social life that I really, really loved. And I loved, you know, I was like going out a lot, but not in a way that I was going out when I was 24. I was going out in a way where I was like meeting friends for dinner and drinks in a way that was like very sex in the city, you know, but (laughs) it was, I was in this place in my life where I was like very full. And I think that that's, the condition that you have to meet your person in. Like I went into every single date being like, I don't need you. (laughs) And I think that in more desperate times, like especially like some of the bad relationships and sort of bad dating experiences that I'd had during the align years and after, like immediately after were from this place of like desperation and fear and like grasping onto people because I like needed to feel a sense of security and a sense of validation. And at this point in my life, I was just like, I'm good. Like I I have everything that I need. And I actually like love my one bedroom apartment. I love living alone. I love hanging out by myself. Like I love my friends. Yes. A relationship would be great. But like, if you can make my life better, I will let you in a little bit more. But if you don't, make my life better then I'm not even gonna entertain a second date with you you know I love that you said that because that is literally my tagline I'm like why would I want to I'm like I get it I know you have to date to figure it out but I'm like if you aren't instantly adding something to my life I don't need it I'm very content so you really got to be the confetti on top yeah I mean it's a tough balance too because you have to be like I don't know from the first date if you're you know if you're going to add value to my life, but 
in general, I'm also not going to be obsessed with you after the first date, which is also a difference between being 23 and being 28, which is how old I was when I met Ryan. So, you know, I I think it was also just, I, I learned and I was so cautious of just like jumping into anything. And I really wanted to make sure it was the right fit. And even, you know, I was just like so sick of these dating apps and so sick of these like these guys smarmy guys on these apps and and like on our first date he you know we went to some bar and then I like walked home from the bar and he was like text me when you get home and I literally I know like super all that's like a sweet cancer for you but I was like yeah right I'm not gonna text you (laughs) I'm not gonna text you when I get home you don't you don't actually care if I get home (laughs) You're right. Actually, that would probably be my reaction too. But hearing the story and knowing it worked out, it's very cute. But I think that because I was like so dismissive, he was like, oh, cool, a challenge. <laughs> like, <laughs> So when did you know with him that it was more of a long-term thing? Um, you know, he was, he's my first like real substantial relationship um, because I would say I was like really unavailable for many reasons, but I think a lot of the, uh, I spent a lot of time sort of distracting myself with like the having to be out and social with a line and sort of being unavailable in that way. But, um, you know, it took, it took me about two, two to three months, I would say, you know, I wasn't pretty fast. though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like when I realized that it was real it just like brought up so much stuff for me and it and that's the cool thing about being in a relationship that I you know it's funny like I was in therapy the entire time I was uh you know since I was 23 and my therapist was always pushing me to join match.com she was obsessed with match like at a certain point I was like are you sponsored by match why do you keep bringing match up to me I literally have a dating app like I can't use match and (laughs) and she just kept saying to me like you are at a place in your life where you can't keep learning about yourself until you have a mirror, until you have a relationship, because that's going to bring so much more out in you. And so when I started dating Ryan and I started confronting these other issues that were kept coming up, I was like, Oh, I see why she wanted me to go on match. I see why she wanted me to like find a substantial relationship and not just like 99% of the people on Tinder who weren't out there for something serious. It's actually like one thing that I also want to say, and it's directly relates to the cut is that um, one of the most like important pieces of dating advice that I got, which I guess I got through the cut. So one of them that I read was an ask Polly column about dating. And it was just like some person wrote in and was just like, I'm unlovable. And her advice was just like, it is not a zero sum game. And that's what you have to remember with these dating apps is like, it can feel like that. It can feel like the end of the world. If you, if you get rejection after rejection, after rejection, or if you even worse, go on date after date after date. And you keep being like, I like this person. I like him. Does he like me? And then they keep (laughs) saying no. And they keep saying, I had a joke, like you're smart and cool, but like, there was always a, like you're blank and blank, but (laughs) you know, but I'm not that into you, but I'm looking for something else. And I was always so like, you know, so put off by that and so heartbroken by that. And then there was this Ask Polly column that was um, where she said, it's all it takes is one, 
you know, it doesn't, your chances don't diminish the more dates you go on. It's actually just about finding that one, but it only has to work once. And having that perspective actually really made me feel a lot more optimistic going into dates. It only has to work once. Yeah. It's such a good way of looking at it because all the other stuff's just noise and it doesn't matter. Exactly. And it's the rejections, they sting, but it also doesn't mean that you're going to be rejected every single time. Yeah. I need to take all of this advice to heart. It's one of those things I struggle with logically knowing it and having trouble accepting it in my heart, you know, but maybe this is what I need the kick in the ass to go out there read some I think more Ask Polly. I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I will recommend Ask Polly until the day that I can't speak anymore, but <laughs> I'll try to find this column for you because it was just so like, it was a world shift moment for me where I was like, wow, this is how I could be looking at this. Like I can be lovable. I can stop looking at these rejections as like indictments on me and my personality. That's so cool. See, the cut does matter, guys. It does matter. It does matter. I mean, even though Heather isn't She's there, not there anymore, anymore. Yeah. but maybe they've archived her columns. So, oh, they definitely have. Yeah. They definitely have. Yeah. I wanted to talk about selfishly myself mm-hmm. and give me a quick, and you can be really ruthless, just a quick vibe check on a Capricorn Sun, Virgo Moon, Gemini Rising. That's fun. You're a communicator. That so. Capricorn do you know like what the sun moon and rising like mean like what they sort of stand for okay yeah but can you tell can you tell the audience I'll tell I'll tell the listeners so (laughs) (laughs) um your sun is sort of like your core essence it's like your ego you know it's who you are on like a day-to-day your rising sign is like how other people perceive you. But I would also say it's sort of like how you perceive yourself, how you like see the way that you fit into the world. Uh, And your moon is your inner life. It's like your inner conflict and sort of like, you know, what, you know, when I I used to say during the align years, when we were doing readings for people, like your sun is how you act, but like your moon is how you react. It's like what's happening on the inside. Um, And so Capricorn is very um, practical and very like work oriented. I mean, Capricorns are also super funny and people like don't appreciate them enough for just like how weird and silly they are. Like they can be really dry humored and just like on a day to day, they're just like, I know how to get stuff done. I know like I have a plan and I have a plan of attack and it's like a very sort of rational approach. Um, There's not necessarily a lot of like patience for people who talk too much or for people who are like, you know, for people who are sort of slow or for people who are taking paths that aren't super direct. Um, There's just not, there's, there's a much more like I have a goal and my life is like centered around sort of meeting these goals and, and then finding new goals and, and having a goal oriented or like a goal centered uh, perspective is is really helpful. I don't know if you you find yourself doing that where you're like, okay, today this is my goal, and you just like sort of reach those goals. Oh my gosh, like that is the. I always sometimes don't feel a huge connection to Capricorn, but that is something. I have a list in a list, like mm-hmm. for every goal I have to hit in that day, the month, the year, and I I don't hold myself. They're more like manifestation goals. Like this is like where I want to go, but I find them so helpful. Like I love so Gemini rising. This is like I love that you have this placement because it confuses 
people who are like, oh, you're a Capricorn because Gemini, right. Gemini is, you know, the twins. And so there's two sides to that. There's like, you know, you can get like super outgoing side of that, super talkative, super sort of curious. And then there's a more mercurial side of it where people don't really know how to read you. And so Gemini risings tend to be very entertaining, you know, hence you having this podcast, Gemini and Virgo are both ruled by the planet Mercury. So, um, which is the planet of communication. And so like you have two really, really major Gemini, not Gemini, you have two major Mercury ruled planets in your, in your chart and probably more. And that just shows that that's, that's a big area, um, of strength for you. So it's so funny. Cause I always say Kenzie, I wish she was out here. I've always like, and again, my knowledge doesn't run super deep on this, but I'm like, my Gemini rising is why I can do this podcast yeah. because it's just a little bit a crazy, not to say, you know what I mean? It, yeah. A little bit of spice, a little bit spice in my very spicy. earthy my earth oriented mm-hmm. other side well it's why you're like hey there are many sides to me and it's also why you're like I always have a take on something <laughs> like <laughs> Gemini is like the constant just like in input of information and output of information like there's there's processing that's going on but like Virgo is a real processor Virgo is like oh let me input the information and like look through my file cabinet and put the file in and then stash that file away. And like for your Virgo, sweet, sweet Virgo moon, like <laughs> that's a, that's a tough moon placement. That's intense. It's like, it's, it requires a lot of emotional compartmentalization. There's something about Virgos where they're just like, if it doesn't make sense, it's like chaotic. And it's like, that's, what's going to drive you mad. So Helen, this is why I can't see. It's too chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I it's, it is, but your Virgo heart will, will be able to handle it and your Gemini will charm them and your Capricorn will whip them into shape and will will keep you independent. No, thank you for that reading. I feel like I should pay you for that. I don't need to go to the psychic now. Um, oh, what was I going to... Oh, is there... You don't have to answer this if it's too controversial, but is there any sign you are hesitant to be friends with or date? <laughs> Sun sign. Yeah. Again, like everything... Everything takes the full chart to fully understand. And one thing that was really special about the time with Align and the experience of Align is that we figured out very quickly that astrology is, it's spiritual and it's cosmic and there's something like really magical about it, but there's also something really tactical about it and practical about it, which is that it's tools, it's information. It's a way to frame things that you're just like, okay, I don't think you're a psycho. I just think you're a Scorpio, you know, like, okay. Like, I don't think that you're like, you know, I don't think that you're, I don't think I can't be friends with Aquarius is I just think that I have to have a certain kind of patience for them. And for me, that's really, really fundamentally changed my worldview and changed how I interact with people because I'm just like, oh, I'm not taking offense to certain things that you say or to, to certain ways that you perceive and interpret and communicate about yourself or about the world, because I see that you're coming at it from your own lens. And that lens is shaped by your personal experience, but it's also shaped by your, your chart. It's also shaped by your astrology. And so 
before Ryan, I refused to date cancers. I didn't ask him his sign until our <laughs> second date. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I had, I literally had a no cancer rule. And then of course the, you know, he ended up being a cancer and I was like, okay, I guess I'll have to like reconsider that. There, are, there isn't anyone that I would just be like blanket. No, I can't have you. You're too chaotic. In general, the gift of astrology for me has been to have a lot more um, dimensionality and compassion for the people that I meet. Well, that was a very diplomatic and beautiful answer. Thank you. <laughs> I would love to talk really quickly, go through some celebrity signs or celebrities and have you guess mm-hmm. what signs you think they are. And as a fun tie-in to my last week's episode, I was talking about odd celebrity pairings. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could go through some of those, but starting out with one that's maybe not an odd pairing, but is very back in the zeitgeist right now. Can you mm-hmm. guess who I'm talking about? Benifer? <laughs> Okay. So Jennifer um, Lopez and Ben Affleck, what signs do you think they are? Well, I know J-Lo's a Leo. I know that. <laughs> um, and Ben Affleck, oh, I used to know this. I believe he is a, oh God, maybe a Sagittarius? Girl, he's a Leo. Oh, he's a Leo too. Okay. <laughs> a double Leo. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, is that chaotic? Yeah. But I feel like I, I'm here chaotic. for it. I'm here for <laughs> okay, it. You're here for it. All right. So next up we have Pete Davidson and Phoebe Devner. So the girl from Bridgerton. Oh, okay. She strikes me as a Taurus or a Cancer. She has like such a little moon face. Um, and I think he is a Sagittarius. He is a Scorpio. Okay. <laughs> I feel like Scorpio and Sag have kind of, in my mind, kind of a line between them that I, yeah. I see. Um, and she's an Aries. She's an Aries. Okay. Well, close to a Taurus. It's just hard <laughs> because like a lot of, you know, it's there's a full chart, but okay. Oh, yeah. Damn. I'm one for four. Okay. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> so we got Taika Waititi and Rita Ora. Oh, my God. They're a couple? Yeah, well, allegedly. <laughs> They've been um, hanging okay. out for sure. Taika Waititi. Mm. I, maybe he is a, okay, let's see. He's a, okay, but let's start with Rita. Is she a Gemini? She does have Gemini energy, but she's a Sag. She's a Sag. Okay. <laughs> uh, Taika let's say is a uh a pisces he's a leo okay do you feel any sort of leo brethren spirit with him (laughs) i mean he's super creative so i probably could have guessed that yeah okay courtney kardashian and travis barker okay courtney kardashian is an aries i believe yes and um travis is a virgo i think scorpio scorpio okay I found this fascinating because this is the same pairing as Pete Davidson and Phoebe Devner, hmm. except yeah, it's the same. The girls, the Aries and the boy is a Scorpio. Interesting. Well, both of them are, uh, you know, have sort of heavy like Mars and sex influence. So that's, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Okay. Just two more couples, Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly and Megan Fox. <laughs> okay. No, Megan Fox is a Taurus. Yes. Um, and Machine Gun Kelly, it's uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Mm, cancer? Taurus. Okay. 
So we got an- I thought this was interesting again because we had Leo and Leo on Benifer and then Taurus and Taurus on Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. Yeah, that is interesting. Those are two those are four like fixed signs that are very intense. So together there's a lot of uh, a lot of energy. That's I felt like this whole list was like with the, maybe the exception of Aries like a lot of intensity and I was like this makes <laughs> sense for this chaotic ass pairings. Okay. Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Shailene I believe I know she's like in the Capricorn to Pisces like I believe that's like her spectrum so like Capricorn Aquarius or Pisces is I can't don't know if I can give three but am I wrong (laughs) no (laughs) she's a Scorpio I'm telling you this list is Scorpio heavy okay all right and And then uh, Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers this is another repeat from this list someone else on here was this to give you okay, a so we have a Scorpio and a uh, and an Aries. Is he an Aries? He's a Sag, like oh, Rita. <laughs> oh, I thought the pairing was the same. Okay. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, um, I led you astray. <laughs> I mean, I used to be able, like, when we would go into like investment meetings, I would be like, oh, let me list out like boom, 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 boom. Like, I just knew like all the celebrity signs. I'm clearly a bit rusty you now, knew but I also fa- you knew. Megan Fox and Courtney and that's and JLo. It. That's good. That's three. No, it's right. I know, like, I know the power women, I would say. Yeah, there you go. Well, Helen, thank you so much. Thank you for taking this much time to speak with me. And I know you have to go. Thank you so much, Bailey. This was really fun. And I can't wait to hear the episode. Yay. So unfortunately, Helen and I did not get a chance to discuss our legit shit on our interview, but she did send me hers afterwards. So we have from Helen, the vaccine. Of course, I agree with that. She gave us three. It's so generous. The Necessary Eucalyptus Body Exfoliator, which funnily enough was my legit shit, I think two episodes ago. Guys, this gives credence to my opinion that this exfoliator is amazing and you need to buy it. It's $30 well spent. Of course, there will be links in the show notes. And then she also gave us a link to the Oracle deck that she discussed. And I looked at it and I do see what she was saying about the images being a little corny, but I really love it. I kind of want one for myself. And also in the show notes, Helen was sharing the info for Julie, her psychic, and the Ask Polly column that she referenced from the cut. So check that out. And my legit ship for this week is (laughs) Bluebell Orange Sorrel Ice Cream. I am obsessed with the orange citrus swirl thing at Disney World. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just paused because I was like, am I a Disney adult? (laughs) Um, But I am obsessed with that ice cream. And even if I'm full, I will get it if I'm at Magic Kingdom. So I found this stuff at Walgreens. Weirdly, that's the only place I've been able to find this particular flavor of Bluebell. But I know that ice cream is like a weird thing where stores stock all different kinds i'm telling you if you see the orange swirl one get it it's so good so refreshing and it'll bring you right to like Frontierland in in disney world all right thank you guys for listening and i will see you next week bye p.s if you've made it this far you're probably an og a true fan you've probably already reviewed kind of cute on apple Podcasts, but if you haven't this is your reminder that i would love a written review and a five star on apple Podcasts if you haven't already and make sure to stay up to date on the pod by subscribing sharing it with a friend to help it grow so we can have even more guests on and 
follow it on Instagram at kind of cute podcast and you can follow me at Bailey Evan. Till next time. Bye.